0: You're listening to the Investing.com's Weekly Crypto Podcast with your host, Clement Thibault. Hello, everyone. Have a great Sunday and welcome to Crypto, Investing.com's Weekly Crypto Podcast, where we go over the weekly news and we analyze them and talk about what's been going on in Bitcoin and other markets this week. So if you're unfamiliar with the show, Uh, This is a show for people who kind of want to keep track of the crypto markets, but have about 15, 20, 25 minutes sometimes, you know, just to pay attention to it and to listen to what's been going on. That's what we're here for. So we're going to summarize the the big news for you. And we're going to talk a little bit about what they mean. And uh, yeah, this is what this show is for. All right, so let's move forward this week with the topics of the week. All right, so we have a pretty exciting podcast this week. We're going to talk about Uh, the rumors of bitcoin's death and uh, the death spiral as it's been called in uh, various media outlets we're going to talk about 51 percent attacks what are they and they've been happening uh quite a bit and over the past few months and we've seen a latest example just this week so we're going to talk about that Uh, the sec is predictably delaying the atf decision until the end of february and we're also going to be talking about coinbase and how Their decision to list every possible coin out there and the news that they're considering 30 more coins have have added already four are damaging, in my opinion, to their reputation as a crypto exchange. So that's the four topics that we're going to talk about today. And let's dive right into it with uh, Bitcoin's death spiral. So our first topic of this week, can Bitcoin die and what is the death spiral? So for me, to be honest, Bitcoin can die, but it will take a few things that maybe aren't likely to happen, but I think it can die. So the first one would be, of course, you know, an apocalyptic event of some sort where, you know, the world goes crazy. No electricity, no Internet, no, you know, back to the Stone Age kind of black swan event of some sort. So that's definitely one of the ways. But, you know, if if that happens, we'll have a lot more to worry about than Bitcoin. Uh, The other one is uh, potentially a technological flaw something that we haven't seen yet, uh, a way that Bitcoin maybe could be exploited and then they could potentially hard fork as well. But, you know, so something, you know, that unforeseen about the technology surrounding Bitcoin could also lead to its death and destruction. And, and the last one would probably be a social death, you know, in a way that Bitcoin will die when people just stop using it and stop caring about it. Uh, back in the day, a few years back, you know, it was just a few people mining Bitcoin on their computers, and that's you know that that's still possible today where if the ash if the hash rate was to drop low enough so so basically it's not going away that quickly and the one that's been talked about a lot this week was the death spiral of mining so behind it is the idea that bitcoin prices will drop sharply very low in a way that will be un- would not be economical for miners to keep their equipment going And miners not keeping their equipment going means that we'll never get to next blocks. And this happens because the difficulty adjustment of Bitcoin is that there's difficulty adjustment every two weeks, which is approximately, I mean, it's approximately every two weeks because it's 2016 blocks, right? So in case the price drops very low just after a difficulty adjustment, then it might not be worth it for miners to actually continue, you know, to operate the equipment, which means that we'll never get to the new difficulty adjustment. And then, you know, mining will forever become, you know, stay too expensive, and people won't do it. And so we'll never see new Bitcoin blocks. And this is how Bitcoin dies. So basically, this is the thesis regarding uh, the, the mining death spiral of mining. Now, of course, you know that Bitcoin's price fluctuates wildly. So you know, that, that's where these theories are coming from. Now, uh, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people in the community have come against the notion of a death spiral. And, and I've seen a lot of people talk about it. So I want to give a little of the, the rebukes that we've seen over the past week from the community. So uh, some of it has been that, you know, if ever Bitcoin reaches a point where the difficulty adjustment is too far, and we'll never get to it, the community can always fork off to, you know, create another coin which is identical with, with everything Bitcoin has but without the difficulty. So basically just a, a difficulty reboot and then in a way that will allow people to continue mining and continue issuing blocks. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is that you can always ha- use higher fees and in that way gets the, get the user to pay for the miner's fee- for the miners' blocks. So if a miner is uneconomical because you know it, Bitcoin is at a thousand and it costs him like two thousand, then get him to another extra thousand dollars for every block in that he mines in a way that will keep him running until the difficulty adjustment. So that's actually a pretty good reasoning and a pretty good way to do it, where the users would continue will pay the miners so that the miners will continue actually running uh, the the equipment. And a third theory brought forward by Andreas Antonopoulos, a prominent Bitcoiner said that basically what will happen is that miners are buying electricity and have a lot of sunk cost into their machines, you know, their miners. And so they will probably continue to mine to stay profitable in the long term, because if the miners just quit, all their investment is gone. But if a miner is willing to sustain losses for a short period of time, then, you know, we can, the difficulty will drop and you'll be able to make money again. So that's the three things that have been said against uh, the death spiral. Honestly, I don't believe that this event will occur. And again, you know, the community has last, you know, last resources to actually deal with that, including the fork, which will definitely damage Bitcoin, but it'll still survive. And as long as a few people are willing to mine it, it'll still survive. You know, it might drop to a few cents back again, right? But is it dying? So it depends really on how you see dying. If dying, you mean disappearing, that's not likely. But if you know, a sharp drop to like a dollar per Bitcoin where you would consider it dead, then yeah, I mean, the price can drop very low and, you know, and see no bottom. So that's also something that we need to keep in mind. All right, so that's that's regarding the Bitcoin. You know, I wanted to address it because it's been the talk of the week concerning everything regarding Bitcoin. The death spiral will happen, you know, is Bitcoin lost? Can is Bitcoin dying? So the answer is, is probably no to all of these questions and Bitcoin is probably here to stay. Of course, if your investment, if you're invested in Bitcoin, then yeah, your investment might be dead. But Bitcoin itself as a technology, you know, as a as, as a social thing, you know, that lives as a living decentralized organism is definitely not dying at this point. All right. Now that we've settled that, let's move on to uh, 51% attacks, which is something that Bitcoin is also uh, very unlikely to experience at any point. So, uh, OK, let's move on to that. <laughs> All right, so 51% attacks, what are they and why are they relevant and why we're talking about it now? So VTC actually experienced a 51% attack and a successful double spending attack this week. They experienced a few of those. So we wanted to talk, I wanted to talk just a little bit about what it is so you can understand that if you're invested in smaller coins, this is very, very relevant to you because your smaller coins are the ones that are most likely to be attacked with a 51% attack. So let's talk about this a little bit. So what's a 51% attack? Basically, the way Bitcoin works and a lot of proof of work coins work is that as long as half of the nodes are honest, then this chain, then their chain will grow the fastest and will outpace any other competing chain. So if I have 20% hash rate in Bitcoin and I start pumping up you know, bad blocks that give me free money, then the 80% that are against me will actually manage to grow their chain faster and will stop me that way, right? So this is how it works. So if I only if I have 51% of the entire hash on a coin, then I can do whatever I want with it, basically. But as long as this doesn't happen, then, you know, you, you can't touch, you know, you can't change the history. And this is a way to actually change history. So miners add transactions to the blockchain and they can reorganize the chain and how would they do that so a chain reorg is basically where a miner and you know that holds a lot of coins basically mines an alternate chain which is competing with the real one but because this miner has 51 percent of the hash his chain which he which he solely creates actually is longer than the the other chain and that what makes it valid because it has more proof of work in it so this is what happens and then this miner can all of a sudden you know publish a new chain which is you know 30 blocks 40 blocks and because his chain is longer all the nodes will actually go his way and treat his blocks as the valid ones and the real history will get rewritten by this miner and this is the danger of a 51 percent attack now you know how when you send a transaction you actually wait for a few blocks and you see that it's confirmed if there are 3, 6, 10 blocks after it, and this is how you're sure that the money is actually transferred, this is exactly what a reorg attack does, all right? So, you are waiting for 6, 7 confirmation blocks, and then all of a sudden, someone comes with 10, conf- with ten new blocks, and your 6 blocks are unworthy anymore, and this is why, you know, We always say that the deeper your transactions are into the blockchain, the more secure they are and the unlikely it is that someone will actually manage to dig them up. Uh, The problem that happened this weekend was that we're not talking about three to six blocks, which is severe in itself. But okay, it's we're talking about 300 blocks back. That's a huge amount of blocks on any scale, which means that the person literally took history and just freely wrote it, rewrote it and not just the history of the last hour but much more than that. So that happened on, on VTC, you know, this week, a total of four times. Uh, it also happened in the past on Bitcoin Gold, which is BTG and Verge, XVG and Mana earlier this year. So you, so the, the thing is that, you know, the weaker your coin and, and the less used your coin the less people are securing it, and the more likely it is that someone from the outside will manage to execute a double spending attack. So the amount double spent is estimated to be about $100,000, which isn't a lot, but it's still, you know, there's a lot of projects right now, including this one, that are still worth, you know, their market cap is still, you know, $11, $12, 50000000 million. And those are the coins getting attacked, so it's still 10 to $50 million being attacked, which is a lot. So if you hold coins, just make sure that your coins are on a safer chain. And you know, one of the ways to do that, uh, there is a website called uh, 51 Crypto or Crypto 51 uh, that can tell you how, sec- how secure the chain is. And the way that it does that is that it computes all the hashing power on it and then how much it would cost to manufacture that specific hash rate to have a 51% advantage over everyone else. So for example, for Bitcoin, right? Renting one hour, which means six blocks, one hour of Bitcoin hash rate would cost about $200,000. And that's a a conservative estimate. It probably costs more because you have to set up operations and everything. So if you were to attack Bitcoin for one hour, that would be $200,000. And that's why, you know, the the more hash there is on the chain, the more secure it is because the more expensive it is to actually attack it. So that's been one of the big, you know, issues of the week as well. And I feel that a lot of people are still holding smaller smaller coin and they need to be aware that, you know, there is this danger if your chain is not secure. And because there's a pretty easy way to, ch- to check that your chain is secure, then, you know, why not do it and why not log in and, and actually check that out? All right. So that's for uh, 51% attacks. I hope it's clearer. I hope the concept is clearer of why this is important and how it's done. And if it's not, please drop me a message and let me know. Uh, all right. So we'll uh, move on to uh, a couple of quick updates on the Bitcoin ETF and on Coinbase, uh, which is changing its business model. Okay, now we're moving on to the Bitcoin ETF. So I promised uh, an update when there's one, and there's actually been a new development. So we're going to cover that just uh, quickly. Uh, so the the commission delayed the decision for the Vanek ETF until February 27, 2019, which is basically uh, the last date for in which they can give a decision regarding that ETF. Now that ETF is interesting, uh, because it was supposed to be for institutional's. So you were supposed to be able to buy only six digits of it, and so it wasn't for retail people. And that's what you know. That was most of their pitch to the SEC, saying, "Listen, we don't want the regular people. We just want to give the institutional a chance to you know to enter the market." So that that was the pitch. Now this pitch was also based on an index. Uh, that was to be created that would be an index of the -the over-the-counter prices and not exchange prices. Uh, The reasoning behind that is that over-the-counter exchanges are a lot more regulated and harder to manipulate. Uh, The claim was also that OTC markets are a lot bigger than the the exchanges, but uh, I haven't seen any data yet to support that claim, so I'm not counting that yet uh, with the victories uh, of Vanek, uh, which is the one proposing the CTF. Uh, So, the, their index was launched, and it's the great thing because now we finally, until now, the commission, the committee, sorry, was, was asked to approve an ETF for which will rely on an underlying asset, which index was not established yet. And finally, they got it up and running. So now, you know, the committee can actually take a look at this index and also decide, you know, if this index fits because they were trying to avoid market manipulation. And the claim is that the OTC markets are not as easy to manipulate and are maybe impossible to manipulate. And so having an index on OTC prices is better than having an index on exchanges which can be manipulated. So that's the second thing, that the second development that's been happening with the Bitcoin ETF. And the third one, uh, so Hester Price is the SEC commissioner, and she's known for her uh, very positive views of Bitcoin. And she said recently, and I quote, don't hold your breath. I do caution people not to live or die on when a crypto or Bitcoin ETF gets approved. You all know that I'm working on trying to convince my colleagues to have a bit more of an open mind when it comes to crypto. I am not as charming as some other people, Uh, which is a nice quote. But basically, she's saying that she's still in the minority. And I think that she knows that. And, And, you know, I've been saying this for quite a while now, even going back to August, July. I don't see a crypto ETF coming soon. I don't see a Bitcoin ETF coming soon. And when I'm saying that, I even mean 2019. So I really think that it won't come in 2019, maybe 2020 and going forward. So that's that's the movement. Uh, we'll, of course, be talking about it towards February 27, which is the final date in which the commission or the committee of the committee has to actually decide if yes or no. Uh, they'll be leaning for a no. I'm quite certain of it. But, you know, I'll follow the developments because these markets move rather quickly and you never know you know, what's going to happen, you know, a month from now. So I'm not going to guess too much on that. And we'll just see and take it as it happens. And we'll move now to our fourth topic, which is Coinbase and the changes that they're making, why they're making them and why I feel it's a mistake. So our final topic this week is Coinbase. And Coinbase has made the news on two separate occasions this week, uh, announcing uh, quite similar things, to be honest. So the first announcement this week was that they were adding uh, cvc which is civic Uh, they were adding loom which is the loom network mana which is decentraland and also dnt uh, which is district ox so that's the four coins that they're listing this week and that they've added to coinbase pro and now you can actually trade i think 12 coins on coinbase pro after they added uh, i think bat a basic attention token a few weeks back, or maybe even last week, and a couple more. Uh, so that's on Coinbase. So they're adding more assets, and they're also published that they were looking at adding up to thirty assets uh, to the platform, uh, such as you know XRP and and EOS that they were looking to add. So you know, we're I, my feeling is that Coinbase is basically trying to become you know the American Binance. And, and it's trying to list everything. And I think we've mentioned it in the past, how in a bear market, you know, exchanges have to create more volume. Uh, otherwise, you know, their business is not sustainable. And I think that Coinbase definitely went on a hiring spree uh, last crypto bull market and that maybe their expenses are a little higher than they expected. So what they do now is they actually try to list more coins, create more volume and, you know, grow their revenue. Uh, so that's that's a that's a fine you know business plan if you're in exchange and you want to grow as much as possible. But I think that whatever Coinbase gains in short term profits and short term revenues, I think it loses in the long term and in branding. So the way I always saw Coinbase was kind of this premium you know US exchange that was that was rather clean, where you could buy you know Bitcoin and a few other coins that are, you know were the biggest. I think you could buy five coins on there. They were the five biggest and they weren't dealing with smaller tokens. And, and I think that, you know, that kind of established their brand as, a, as the premium exchange, the clean exchange, where just the retail Joe, the average Joe can come and buy some cryptos. And I think that now that they're turning into Binance, it's more like they're turning from like a legitimate gateway to crypto to some kind of casino Binance style. And this is something that I really think will hurt them because, you know, one of the things I said about Coinbase is that it's it positions itself really well to profit from any future crypto bull runs. Right. And the question is now that they're adding this more coins. OK, so they're adding more coin, creating more volume. But are they losing customers and prestige and branding over the fact that they're adding, you know, many coins that many people don't think, you know, they belong in the same discussion as Bitcoin and other coins? So that's a really big question. And, you know, we've, we're seeing what Coinbase is doing. We've, we're seeing what it decided to do, which is adding more tokens, creating more volume. I'm not very sure that this is the best strategy going forward. But, you know, again, just uh, just my opinion on this one and the, my perception of what Coinbase was and what Coinbase is now trying to become. And I think that what they were was actually, you know, better than what they're trying to become. But that's just my personal opinion The news here is that if you want to trade a million things on Coinbase, you'll probably be able to. And uh, so that's a good thing and a bad thing for them. I guess we'll see, you know, we'll see in the future how it turns out. And they may, you know, it's it's possible they are actually making the good decision and that they're going to make a lot of money from it. But, you know, future will tell and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. All right. So that's it for this week. Thanks for uh, being with us. You can always reach me on Twitter at Clem Thibault, that's L C L E M T H I'm always happy to get your comments and to know what you guys want me to talk about and what you think was good, what you want to hear more of. You know, that's exactly what I want to hear. It's just to make a better podcast for everyone who's listening. Uh, thanks for being with us this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, and have a great, great week.